Outside the Tank is not affiliated with Shark Tank. Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. And I'm Tom's partner. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. I'm, I'm Joe. Okay. If you'd, if you'd prefer to use my name, you can. I don't Tom, mind. Tom's partner. That sounds good. I'm, I'm Tom's. When you introduce me, how do you introduce me? Oh, this is that guy that... When you're around or not. Oh. Uh, again, meanest guy in America. Hey, right before we hit record, <laughs> you got Charlie Horse. You feeling okay? <laughs> yeah, you know, a little little cramped up this morning. Not eating enough uh, uh, potassium. Sandwiches? Or something. Yeah, you know what? It is time for a sandwich. What time is it right now? No, it's, it's uh, <laughs> let's see here. It's almost 11 a.m. Yeah, it's and getting you haven't on had a sandwich yet. It's getting on to lunchtime. Let's okay. talk about Charmy and Smart Girls. Okay, so Smart Girls... Coding robot dolls. All right, so this the intention here is to get girls into coding. Um, she's asking two hundred thousand for five percent, so a four million dollar valuation. Essentially, you're using an app, you're building code, and then based on that code, the doll is going to do stuff. Like for instance, they showed the doll dancing with music. So you're doing code that creates um, movements and activity from this robot. Uh, she had done 250,000 of sales in only six months. Uh, she took some prototypes to a toy fair and got distribution agreements and sold some into retail. Uh, a 79.99 product, so $80, uh, $18 landed. Okay, so nice margins there. Um, and then had a provisional patent. And she shared that 70% of female engineers, okay, so women that go to college for engineering drop out, which yeah, I couldn't believe it. To hear. Yeah. So so that's the story uh, up to this point. What happened? Did she get a deal? It, you know, it was tough. The atmosphere uh, was tough. Four out of the five sharks tapped out. They uh, The comments were about the, the business space being very, very tough, toy business. Um, Branson couldn't add enough value in his opinion. Um, Cuban thought that little retail space she was in is, is just brutal. But And I they, thought he would have loved it. Yeah. I was a little surprised there. I was surprised as well. But Damon stepped up, made an offer, and she accepted at 25%. So the valuation changed uh, instantly. But Damon made an offer, and uh, all is good in the world. Okay. Let's get into our interview with Charmy. All right, we're here with Charmy of Smart Girls, and uh, let's just start at the beginning. Uh, where did this idea come from? So I 
started Smart Girls or started thinking about Smart Girls when I was having trouble with my daughter. So um, she was struggling in math and didn't like it and felt like, oh, it wasn't for her. And I thought, okay, it was just way too early in her like, you know, school life to start thinking that math was not something that she was good at. So, you know, as a, as a creative mom and as a, um, you know, solution provider, I was thinking, all right, what can I do? So I bought a Lego Mindstorms and I brought it home and I said, let's play with this and let's try to do applied math and so that you can see like why math is important you can actually make this robot and make it you know drive around the room and she hated it she hated building it she hated playing with it she hated the app she hated the packaging and um, it was a complete failure and I was out $200 and I thought you know what like you know I started thinking about it and I'm like okay she's a nine-year-old girl this Lego Mindstorms was, you know, clearly made for boys. It was made by boys for boys. Maybe there's a problem here. And when I started investigating and I found that my daughter wasn't alone, that actually, you know, 65% of girls by the age of 13 drop out of math. They don't find it fun or interesting. And I think part of that is we're just sending the wrong messages to these girls that, hey, tech is not for you. Um, and so I wanted to create a very feminine robot, something that like that looked girl. As soon as you saw it, you said, you know, that's a girl, um, or that's for me, or you know, I want that. Um, that really like um, that feeling of um, yeah, of, of want and and need and belonging. Um, so we created Smart Girls. So my husband's an engineer, and we we um, put together a concept of. Um, programmable scooters so it teaches computer programming but it also includes dolls so we have uh, five characters um, they're all you know different different kinds of, uh, of female characters that represent areas in STEM. And so correct me if I'm wrong but there was a two-year period from the idea to when you launched the product right? Yeah and it just I mean I was actually bootstrapping during that time period so I was working full-time and then, you know, building these um, models at home. And you can imagine building a robot from scratch. And um, and we wanted it to be kind of cool. So it's self-balancing. So it has its own self-balancing mechanism. So I was working with university students on making it happen. So that took, you know, a couple of years. And then Shark Tank, did they find you or did you try out for the show? Um, it's a kind of funny story, actually. I so we um, we went to the Consumer Electronics Show, and I was able to get like the smallest booth possible there <laughs> in the back, um, facing a wall, basically. <laughs> and I thought, okay, no one's gonna find me back here. But somehow we ended up with a big crowd of people loving the products, and uh, a producer from Shark Tank walked by and said, "Hey, you know, would you be interested in you know in coming on the show?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> Definitely, yes. Love Shark Tank. So, um, so yeah, so that gave us a foot in, which is really nice. So the moral of the story is, you know, suck it up, make the investment, even if it's the worst booth that's uh, in the hallway away from all the big booths, but it, you, you still got to put yourself out there because you got orders, Shark Tank found you. That probably turned out to be really, really pivotal for you. And I'm guessing going into that, you really didn't know what in the heck you were getting yourself into. Oh, totally. Like we had nothing, you know? So, I mean, I went to, you know, well, I was still working my other job. I went to the, the, um, the international toy fair in Germany and, um, and we, we had six like 3d models that we had, you know, printed and painted 
we didn't even have production going. And we, we, we walked away from that show with 200 names and an order, you know, for, for a company, for a toy store in France that wanted like several cartons and we didn't even have packaging. So, so one of the buyers came up to her and she was like, um, so how many of these fit on a pallet? And we're like, what? we don't even have packaging. We don't know. So it was pretty funny. We were like trying to be like figuring it out at the, you know, like every night we're like, okay, what is the packaging going to look like? How many are going to fit into a container? like you know um like yeah so it was it was early stages and I think it's really important as a as an entrepreneur that you test yourself all along because you can fall in love with your own idea and um you need to have feedback from the marketplace continuously saying yes we want this product yes you know people are ordering it because it also helped you with investment it was easy for me to get to finally get investment when I could show them you know two orders and 200 business cards of people who wanted the products. Well, and tell us how the business changed based on feedback. So you obviously had a prototype, you had an idea of what this thing was going to be, but I'm guessing that's not what it became. So did you listen to feedback? Did you solicit feedback? How did you shape the product based on other people versus just assuming that you knew everything and the first iteration was perfect? Yeah, I mean, the, definitely the first iteration was not perfect. And honestly, like we're still, you know, we're still iterating on it now. I mean, just a couple of years ago, just maybe yeah, two years ago, right before COVID, we expanded the, the products to include boys. So even the company is called Smart Girls. We have a, a range called Smart Buddies, which is for boys and for girls. And that's for schools because you can't go and you can't sell into schools or after school programs and then discriminate and only have a program for girls. So we had to, we were forced if we wanted to work with schools to, um, to change, you know, to iterate, to expand the range and make something different. And, and that's, you know, that's, that was a learning for us, from us or for us um, is, you know, you, you're not always right the first time around. Did Things you also changed to, as far as batteries and everything goes too. Like people you, wanted to have something that was ready to go. Yeah. Um, did you find it challenging to sell into schools? Is that, you know, way different or as eh, a little bit of a learning curve, but you figured it out? No, no, no. And we're still, we're still struggling with it. I mean, we have a, we have a, a major uh, distribution company called Pitsco Education and um, they like, luckily a lot of our kind of consumer products ended up in the hands of after-school programs. So we work with Girl Scouts of America. We work with the National After School Association and, and through those connections, uh, we found like a school's distribution company who said, this is going to be fantastic. And they actually helped us develop so again, you know, I think another lesson learned is partnerships, you know, uh, you know, every step of the way, whether it was, uh, you know, sh the sh partnership with Shark Tank, the partnership with our new distribution company, uh, our, you know, for the Smart Girls products, and then the one for, um, for schools. As a small company, you can't do it by yourself. So you're always looking for strategic partners who can help you open doors, um, open marketplaces for you, and um, yeah, and, and, you know, provide you funds. So. so your episode airs November 12th, 2017. Tell us about those first couple days after airing. How did your life change? How did the business change because of that Shark Tank exposure? Oh, it was, I mean, incredible. Really, really incredible. Like we, I mean, luckily, because it was right before Christmas as well. So we pretty much sold out. And I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't ship, you know, these products. Um, 
our like our whole warehouse was you know totally stressed <laughs> they were working around the clock and yeah I mean it was you know I have a I have Shopify um so our Shopify app was just blinging like like you know every second you know there was new sales coming in and it was just it was fantastic it was the most amazing experience I've ever had you know that like the blinging of like you know, sale, 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 sale. So, and that went on for like a week. Um, really incredible experience. So we almost did a million dollars, you know, right after Shark Tank that Christmas. Uh, I would say the tough thing about it is that, you know, how do you explain to investors that you don't get Shark Tank every year, right? So, <laughs> I mean, how do I, how do I top that? Because you're always expected to top it. So then, you know, we, I did a million dollars pretty much my first year in the U.S. because of Shark Tank. But then the second year, I couldn't really, it was difficult to pay for that kind of advertising that you need to be able to do that kind of a sale. So, you always end up in these, like, difficult situations as a startup company where, you're looking for um, ways to um, make to to give awareness to your product line without spending a fortune. And you know, Facebook can you know has bankrupted many small companies. So, Charmy, on the uh, on the episode that aired, um, it suggested that you shook hands with Damon uh, on a deal that would uh, take you down the road of licensing. I just wonder if you could share anything about that road. Did did that materialize or do sales come from uh, other areas right now? Did you wind up licensing the product? We didn't end up licensing the product. And the reason is because, and it's a really weird, strange reason, but it actually kind of makes sense, is that we, because we have characters on our scooters, um, it means that every time that we went out for like a license, we would be competing with like big doll manufacturers like Mattel and Hasbro and others. So we didn't have, because we had this doll that was attached to the scooter, um, we couldn't, we couldn't create our own like, um, category. We were competing in the doll category and nobody wanted to like mess with those big players. And we could never really get the get any of those big because education is such a small area like many of them didn't want many of the bigger companies like Mattel and Hasbro um even though we had discussions with them you know many discussions with them they weren't really interested in the education market so like so on, I had like a catch 22 twice in a way like I was caught in the sense that the license had been like, for example, with Nickelodeon, I had several talks with Nickelodeon and they had a great show that would have been perfect for us. But, you know, they had already given away the dolls license to someone else and that was Hasbro. And then when we approached Hasbro, they said, uh, you know, education, we're not that interested. So, you know, hmm. yeah. so we could have put other dolls on our, on our scooters. Several, but, of the, several of the sharks were um, um, aberrant to uh, competing with the you know, the big manufacturers, Hasbro and Mattel. And so that's where licensing seemed to make sense. But yeah, interesting. So what, uh, I'm, I'm curious, how important is education to overall sales right now versus uh, online Amazon and other areas? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that, you know, again, a change that we've made. And, you know, I mean, of course, everyone has like their, you know, before COVID and after COVID story, and we definitely have one of those too. So before COVID, we were primarily like consumer business, you know, selling on Amazon, etc. Um, 
<clears throat> during COVID, what we found, and then we were right about to enter into schools with our new distribution partner, and then all the schools in America closed. Actually, all those schools in the world closed pretty much. Um, so kids weren't going to schools. The schools were not purchasing. <clears throat> that whole business like stalled. So what we decided to do was innovate, you know, which is what we're really good at. So we said, all right, you know, kids are going to have to go to summer camp this year. There's going to be nothing available for the for you for them. So we did a camp in the box experience. And we just sold out. So we ended up on Good Morning America. Um, we like ended up selling, um, doing a thousand kids for the summer for our summer camps. We, could, we had to turn kids away. And that really actually opened our eyes to opportunities online, um, doing a Zoom summer camp. Because what we found is that, you know, even though kids love the products, like they don't get the full benefit of learning from it unless they're in a class or an after-school program or, you know, something like that. Like, you know, if they, it's a consumer product, it doesn't fully educate them because you need to have somebody guiding you. You need a guide on the side. And so- And structure really makes this product uh, come alive uh, for mm -hmm. children, boys and girls now that want to learn. Yeah, I can't believe nine and 10 year olds learning JavaScript. That's- Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're good. The structure of it, the structure of what you had to pivot or innovate to, um, you know, actually makes that product come alive. That's that's incredible. I, you know, I didn't think about yeah the educational market, but hold it, we just went through this thing called COVID, so that shut down to so you know distribution isn't happening there. We have to take another path. Um, what what other forms of distribution is uh, Amazon still a great uh, partner for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we definitely still sell a lot on Amazon, but I would say that our bigger focus is on um, the education side with the smart buddies, the girls and the boys. We think it's a better product on many levels um, instead of um, like a primarily Christmas product because it is an expensive product. And um, and so it ends up to become like, you know, you know, a nice Christmas gift for, for a kid who likes to code. So I would say the bigger opportunity is in education and that's still a, a, an area that we're focusing on. So um, NYU is one of our investors and uh, we've been working a lot with them on different kinds of grant opportunities. So we have a big, um, we've one of our white papers was approved by the DOD to educate 3000 military kids uh, using our products. Um, we also have like another one um, working with black and Hispanic children across New York City. Um, that's also 3000 kids. So we're working on these larger grant opportunities that I think, especially with the military, I mean, if we get into the DOD with this one grant, I think we could, you know, open up to like a huger, bigger opportunity with um, all the military families across America. And and um, yeah, and you know, having defense contracts is always a good thing. So um, they last a couple of years and you know, they pay really well, so. When you aired, you were $79.99 and then $18 landed. Has that changed a lot or is that still pretty much the same for you? Um, we've been able to reduce it a little bit. Um, so I would say our 17, oh, actually, what's up so? Yeah, we've been able to reduce it a little bit. So we're like down to like about $14.99. Um, but there, are the, you know, it's, we had a we had an opportunity with Walmart. They really liked our products and wanted us to um, make something for them, like a special product for a larger character that they had that was more like American girl size. And we just couldn't like make it cheaper because <laughs> I mean, we really tried. I was like, even if we only make a dollar, I'd be happy because I want to work with Walmart. And um, 
we just couldn't make it cheap enough. Like they, 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 the, the fact is there is a Bluetooth, there is a coding element. I mean, all of those things just add to the price. So um, I think it's something that we, we definitely struggle with. I think in the future, um, as we expand, um, we have some, um, some opportunities in the bank that, you know, it's hard to talk about now, but things that we'll, we'll talk about in the future about expanding some of the product ranges we have is really looking at, um, can we have other products that are um, less technical and, but still have the same learning opportunities? Yeah, I, I, I just look at the price and I, I guess I'm not thinking dull. I'm thinking the opportunity to potentially expose coding to a child for $80 uh, to, to me is a no brainer. I, I don't understand how people associate you at all with dolls or Barbies or anything like that. I think it's almost a shame because I, I just, I, I, again, I think that that's a really great gift to give someone and maybe they hate it. Maybe it's not their thing. Maybe it's not their skill set. But to expose them to that for under a hundred dollars just seems like a no-brainer. Um, as you scaled the business, what have your biggest challenges been? What have the biggest learning curve been? What are some you know uh, potholes that you hit along the way and went, oh, that was that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would say that, I mean, you know, like a lot of things changed when we launched the company. Um, for example, Toys R Us went bankrupt, you know, suddenly like toy stores don't really exist anymore. Like the whole kind of toy world changed and now you can find toys in grocery stores and in, you know, in Walmart and um, at CVS, um, but they're like really low end toys and many of them are not, you know, sophisticated high tech. So we kind of fell into a hole when it came to the whole, um, when, when, um, when Toys R Us went bankrupt, because we were actually in negotiations with them and like, you know, lost, luckily we didn't lose anything, but, you know, we lost a lot of time and, and effort um, at the time. So, you know, times change and you've got to have to like, you know, be really, you know, nimble and agile. And, and that's why I really think that the smart buddies move is, is the way to go. It makes the products more serious. It's less toy-like. There's like a, a full curriculum that comes along with it. You know, you really get the, the coding side of it. And, and, I think it's it's difficult with these with kids these days. I mean, many of them are not disciplined enough to you know sit back and like and kind of teach themselves something. It's just it's um, we need more help um, and we need you know the guide on the side and that, that's where I think that. Um, where we're going is we have like a National Science Foundation grant out right now um, to make a new kind of Zoom camp that uh, that would be targeted towards younger kids that makes them a bit more active. I mean, one of the reasons why kids are so bored on Zoom classes or on Google Classroom is because it's just a talking head. They need to like be able to use, you know, their fingers and um, hands and, and you know, be more physically active in a classroom. And, and we're looking at using augmented reality and um, artificial intelligence to do that, to, you know, activate kids. So, you know, again, just really, you know, looking at the times and how th times change and, being able to, you know, adapt and adapt to that, I think is really important. What was your background prior to this? So um, I, for many, I was working in the STEM fields for many years. So I worked for large pharmaceutical companies, basically um, their head of corporate communications, working um, to educate um, patients and their families about different kinds of um, health issues that they had. And then I became um, the associate director of a nonprofit organization 
for almost 10 years. Um, and I was able to, to raise, you know, $10 million in grants for that organization. And I felt like if I can raise grants for, um, for a nonprofit, I could raise grants for my own company. And that's when I decided to, to do that. So, you know, I raised funding and I'm also looking at grants too for us. Yeah, it's, your, your story's interesting because as you're saying that, I'm like, you, you must have had to have learned so many new things, but it seems like a lot of what you're doing, you're just pulling from your past experiences. Yeah, oh, totally. Like, so, you know, when I was um, associate director of the nonprofit, we did a lot of learning exercises to help children with hearing loss. We made games for them. So we had like a board game called My Life, where, and that changed a lot of kids who were, who were deaf and hard of hearing and who couldn't explain to their teachers or their parents even like what their day was like. And so, you know, it was using play therapy that I began to see like how important play was for, it, it's, it's very formative for children, um, what they're playing with and how they're playing with it and um and that could change their futures and change their perspectives on um what they want to study in the future charmy I, I wanted to ask you about the investors that you've attracted i know that you have experience in the in the grant world and you carry that experience in your own business what if you could share with uh some of the entrepreneurs that want to learn about the raise and attracting the right kind of investors how did your experience translate itself into philosophies you could share with some of our entrepreneurs yeah, so I'm very different in the sense that I don't have any, um, I don't have investment from like, you know, any large um, equity companies. So um, private equity or, you know, that whole world um, has never been really interested in smart girls. Not because I haven't tried. Um, after Shark Tank, I moved to Silicon Valley for six months and like hit the pavement. I was at every pitch opportunity. I was meeting like VCs left and right. I went to like every VC house, knocked on their door, you know, showed them our products, did everything. And what I found in Silicon Valley is that, you know, they shouldn't call it Silicon Valley. They should call it Software Valley because they want to invest in software. They have no interest in Silicon or anything that is like physical in nature. <laughs> Hardware is not popular there. So, you know, I didn't do too well. Um, I walked out with like, you know, maybe a hundred thousand dollars in, in, um, in investment. So, um, it was a bit tough, you know, and I was sitting there going like, gosh, you know, I, I, I'm so sad about this. And then I, I discovered crowdfunding and crowdfunding, especially for Shark Tank companies is great because we already have a crowd and we already like are known in the sense that, you know, people know our products. We have fans, we have, um, we, we've got customers. So I started doing crowdfunding and I, I've done three crowdfunding campaigns. I've raised almost $2 million through uh, crowdfunding. And um, it's an alternative way of, if you've got, you know, if you, if VCs are not interested in your product, but you've got a great concept that people believe in and want to support. And I think, you know, educating children, especially girls and, you know, underserved minorities really hits a, um, a chord with a lot of people. So we've just been very successful in crowdfunding and we just closed a campaign on WeFunder for um, almost half a million dollars. Oh, that's fantastic. I don't think we've spoken to a Shark Tank entrepreneur that has raised that much money through crowdfunding. So congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> You didn't let that experience in Silicon Valley dim your enthusiasm 
uh, one iota. You just pivoted and went on, which I think is great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just got to realize who you're pitching to and what they what they want. I mean, you know, you could you you know a lot of companies die in Silicon Valley. That's just the reality of the situation. If you can't get funded, then then you die. So, and I didn't want the company to die. So I was like, okay, how am I going to find partners? How am I going to find funding? And now, you know, we're looking into these grants and, and I think that, you know, having a partnership like NYU is great because not only are they investor, but they also, you know, really want to see the success of the company. So we have many things in common, even though we're a small startup company and they're a huge, you know, uh, university. Who have the people in your life been that have been most influential in shaping you as an entrepreneur? I would say that, you know, I, you know, honestly, like I didn't have anyone in my family. Um, my father's an academic, you know, my mother comes also from the medical field. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I really didn't have anybody. I, I would say that, you know, Shark Tank, <laughs> believe it or not, was very inspirational for me watching the, watching those episodes and just going through other people's stories and reading about what they were, how they were able to accomplish what they um, able, were able to do, yeah, it was very inspiring for me. So, and then, you know, I just did a lot of reading and Googling and, you know, trying to figure it out on my own, basically. Mm, I wish I had, um, I wish I, you know, I, I, I wish I had a, a family member or a friend or someone that I could have talked to. And any major lessons that you've learned along the way that you want to share for all of the entrepreneurs listening to this? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the ones I mentioned earlier is definitely, you know, test, 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 make sure that you have product market fit. And, you know, it's in, you can always fall in love with your own idea, but you really need to have, I believe, and what, what I call them signs, but they're signs from the market that, you know, that, that people want your product. Because, I mean, you know, you can think it's the greatest thing in the world, but others have to believe in it as well. So, you know, on a regular basis, I go, okay, do I have product market fit? Do I have feedback from the market that, you know, for example, going to the toy fair with, you know, six um, uh, 3D printed products and then getting feedback, important. That gave me a lot of momentum. Getting, you know, getting investment also gives you momentum. So, and, you know, and it shows you have support and everything else. So, you know, just keep on, keep on getting feedback and testing and making sure that you have like a community of people who want your product. Um, yeah, I think it's an important lesson. Last question for you is where can people find your products and where can they follow you and the company on social media to continue watching the journey? Yeah, definitely. So you can buy our products on Amazon still. So you can go on Amazon and um, type in Smart Girls. You can also go to smartgirls.com. Um, and that's G-U-R-L-Z.com. And then, um, and if you're interested in, in, um, in a schools program or something with education, or you'd like to you know, buy a product for a boy, you can go to um, smartbuddies.com. So yeah, um, those are places you can check us out. And then you're also welcome to follow us on Facebook. So you can find us um, on Facebook, you know, hashtag smart girls, just type it in and you'll find us. Awesome. Well, what a, what a cool product. I look forward to buying my son a smart buddy in a few years. Uh, just turned one, so we're not quite yeah. at that stage yet. <laughs> not yet. 
throw it against the wall. But um, no, I, uh, I I so appreciate you being on the the podcast and what a great conversation, what a great story. Um, so many great lessons that Joe and I took uh, from this. So thank you for making the time. We know how busy you are and uh, really appreciate it. Continued success to you. Sure. Happy to help. All right, we're back with the post game. What do we learn from Charmy? There's two things I'm going to bring forward. One is that she was very, very focused on, hyper-focused on product market fit. Yep. And this is very, very critical in almost uh, any business that we're starting with, a obviously a unique product, a product that perhaps there isn't a lot of competition for. Um, she would test, 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 get the feedback, get the input, uh, innovate, um, iterate, and then put it back out and see how it fit again. So, I, you know, I think this is critical because sometimes we just fall in love with our first iteration of a product or yep. service, and we have created it in our own little test tube, in our head, in our bubble, in isolation, and we think, well, everyone's just going to love this, Tom. And that's a, that's a challenge. So I love that product market fit testing, getting the feedback, going through that cycle and putting it out again. I think that's really, really critical. The second thing I took away, and I just love this, and we see this recurring theme. By the way, she was a first-generation entrepreneur. No one in her family had ever taken risks before, and I love that. I was a first-generation entrepreneur in in my family, uh, starting with working on commission when I was 18 years old. And again, a lot of lot of feedback I got at the time is you ought to get a real job. You've heard that too, right? Yeah. You ought to go get a real job. Still do. <laughs> yeah, me too. And so she was a first generation entrepreneur who decided to self-educate. Mm-hmm. So she's an avid, avid reader. And it doesn't matter whether you read a book or you prefer Audible, which is great. But seek out that education. It's all over the place. There's a lot of free education. There's even some better uh, paid programs. But it's all out there, and I just love the fact that she didn't use that as an excuse. She's self-educated. Yeah. Um, I'll add one thing to this. Uh, I love the fact that she went to the trade show, and she had the smallest booth. Yeah. But the smallest booth is better than no booth, right? (laughs) And she put herself out there. And it doesn't mean, hey, let me, you know, go spend $100,000 and have an end cap at the uh, trade show and the biggest booth, but let me just be there. Let me just be in the game. And, and, and what's the you know, least uh, expensive, most affordable, cheapest way for me to be in the game? I'll take the worst booth you have, but just so I can be there. And she got orders, and it, it got her off and running. But I thought that was so important. I remember I was laughing because years ago, and I probably haven't even told you this, but when I, you know, I wrote my book and I wanted to be a professional speaker. So I went to a conference. And normally speakers didn't have their own booth, but I got my own booth and, again, lousiest booth you could find (laughs) terrible like banner of myself above it but I booked four speaking gigs (laughs) and if I hadn't booked those four speaking gigs I honestly don't know what would have happened so So I've got a story for that you know that got me in the game exactly and then it it was oh well now this guy's out there now I gotta book him this this is such a parallel universe we we have more in common than than I even know. My first trade show, I, I owned a clothing manufacturing company. We had basically a workout wear and a, 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 a fitness wear line, the baggy pants that were very hot in the late 80s, early 90s. And our you don't have any of these like in your garage, do you? I, f- I so actually, wish you did. I actually found a T-shirt recently. I don't have the baggy pants. You, gotta, you, can, a, you can I'll actually, take anything. Yeah, I want to see it. 
you can actually find them online. I'll show you online. Really? But, yes. Oh, uh, I got to order a pair. But what's interesting is we went to this trade show and we had no money. We were bootstrappers, myself and my partner. And we came up with this idea, let's have the shittiest booth, but let's make it interesting. So we threw some sand down. We got a couple <laughs> of beach chairs and we got a case of, we got a cooler of Corona and we hit our product. We had no samples out. We were wearing sunglasses, shorts, and flip-flops. Buyers would walk by and they go, uh, no product? And we go, no, we have product. We'll show it to you. By the way, would you like a cold beer? And they'd say, yes. And we'd offer them a cold Corona. We'd pull our product out. And we'd walk away with a fistful of purchase orders. Oh my and we had and we you, had uh, fitness wear and surfwear people kind of come on by and say, "By the way, brilliant." <laughs> and it's and it's incredible because you absolutely could not do that anymore. No, you probably could. I mean, the hotel would be like, "Well, you can't have alcohol in here." <laughs> there were they, no restrictions. The sand they get upset about. You know, like depending on the hotel you're in, like the the union sometimes will say, "Well, you can't do this to your booth." Right. I mean, they're just. But that's yeah, incredible. This was a late eighties. That's such a that's <laughs> oh, so, oh, you could have been smoking cigarettes and got away with Probably. it. Probably. That's that's incredible. That's a great that's a great idea. So the lesson there is what's your version of that? Because you probably yeah. can't do that exactly. But what a what a great idea. How can you be just a little bit different? Yeah. Everyone else has product. We had no product. They would, do you guys have any product? Yeah, it's back there. You want a beer? Yeah, it's yeah, it's eleven o'clock. Sure. <laughs> plus, plus the other thing too is they probably they weren't going to walk off without finishing the beer, so you probably had their attention for yeah. at least three to five. Well, minutes. Well, we were collecting the bottles because we needed the deposit on the bottles back. That's how broke we were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but oh. almost not. <laughs> oh, wouldn't have surprised me. But the key is be different. There you go. Well, that was fun. All right. Charmy's great. I love this business. I love what she's doing because it's um, it's great. I mean, to, to be able to help these these girls and, and these women um, do the coding in, in a fun, enjoyable way. So uh, we're cheering for her. We appreciate her being on the show. We appreciate all the entrepreneurs being on the show. So um, if you want to listen to our book, go back in the uh, podcast feed and find it. Uh, if you need us for any reason, Tom at Growth10.com, Joe at Growth10.com. We put entrepreneurs into great groups. Uh, if they want to grow faster, we help really talented people build groups of entrepreneurs that they want to mastermind with on a monthly basis. So we're here however we can help you. Uh, but again, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. And we'll see you next Tuesday on an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. There's my radio voice. <laughs>